Hello and happy Tuesday, my friends. This is Amy Lee San Juan, and I'd like to welcome you back to another informative episode of Cisco Champion Radio, where we provide insights and visibility into products and solutions across the Cisco portfolio and trending topics across our industry. If you like our podcast, please follow us and feel free to share your favorite episodes with your colleagues and friends. And if you have any thoughts or comments on what we should cover in a future episode, let us know. Talk with us on Twitter at, at Cisco Champion. All right, today we are going to be talking about Meraki switching. Uh, we are going to discuss best practices for managing switch ports at scale, how to tackle complex operations like port management with a user-friendly approach. What does this all mean? I don't know, but our champions and Meraki experts will help us understand it all. So we are going to get into it. Diara, I'm going to start with you. Who are you? What do you do? Hi, everyone. I'm Diara Footman. I'm a network engineer, and I do a little bit of everything. Some data center, some campus, newly, some wireless. So very excited to talk about Meraki today. All right, Pat, you're up next. I am next. Hello, uh, Pat Allen, <laughs> Senior Network Architect for Customers Bank here on the East Coast. And um, I pretty much touch everything architecture-wise, uh, data center, cloud, um, a little bit of security, um, all, all that kind of stuff, ACI. And uh, also, I, quick, I figured I'd throw in a quick plug, also one-third of the host of Breaking Down the Bytes podcast, which is aimed at uh, newer folks getting into the industry and trying to help them navigate some of those waters. So uh, come check us out on your platform of choice. So happy to be here. It's my second one. So I'm ready to rock and roll. All right. Paul, how about you? Paul Campbell, CEO and founder of Coversal here in the Southeast, a Cisco partner in the United States. Uh, just like Meraki, we put a little bit of something of ourselves into our client project, and we are huge Meraki fans. Looking forward to today's podcast. Nice. All right. David J. and Tony, thank you for joining us today. Um, who are you and what do you do at Cisco Meraki? Yeah. Hi, everybody. So my name is Tony Carmichael. I'm based out here in Denver, and I am one of the product management leaders on the team that uh, builds uh, the switching product portfolio for Meraki. So that covers everything from the switches themselves, the atoms, um, and then, of course, the cloud experience that customers uh, are able to use every day. Um, so the bits and bytes and everything in between. Um, and then we're joined here by Dig Vijay as well. Um, Dig Vijay, you want to you want to do a quick hi? Sure. Hi everyone. My name is Dig Vijay Bura. I um, I'm joining here from New Jersey, and then I have been with uh, Cisco for about 13 years now. And I focus on the Meraki switching portfolio uh, as a technical marketing engineer. Uh, my responsibilities are mostly technical consultancy on the development of these projects on their marketing. Um, and yeah, happy to be here. Happy to have you. Okay. So before um, Paul kicks off the conversation with the first question, Tony, I'm going to kick it back to you. Can you give us some background or, or context on today's topic? What do we need to know before we get into Absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah. So we're, we're really excited to talk about a topic that's near and dear to not just us, but uh, a core part of our product strategy and vision. And that has always been to help enable our users, right? Whether you're customers, you're delivering services, um, to be able to focus on the, the, their end users, right? And be able to do that at any scale. Um, when you think about switches, you could really just think of them as glorified power strips, right? Or some folks say they're the plumbing of the internet, but they're also vitally important. Just like we don't want plumbing to ever give us a problem, 
Um, we don't want switches to give us a problem. And we have customers that scale from uh, dozens to many hundreds of thousands of ports. And if you think about the problem as that scales linearly of making sure that those ports are configured properly, they're secure, um, and they support the business needs, um, that becomes a daunting task when you're thinking about that scale. Um, so we've got some really exciting things um, that we can hopefully talk about and answer questions around that topic. And most importantly, the future um, and, and how we envision that as we learn from our users and implement features, capabilities, functionality um, that we've gotten uh, feedback around. Um, hope that makes sense and uh, really excited for this conversation. All right. So I'm curious here um, on that topic. Let's start with uh, gold configs, right? You know, I've been doing networking uh, for half my life, about 20 years now. And it's, you know, I grew up in this industry with a TXT file and everything was copy pasted from one to another. You could almost leave from one company to another company and have the basic config with you, uh, whether that be port profiles, site uh, like things that are for our uh, computers or our voice systems or our data center. Uh, that was it. So I guess my qu first question to you is how spicy is Meraki's dashboard and management compared to a TXT file? <laughs> I'll, um, I'll start off by saying, so I love, I love that and, and it can definitely get spicy, but what I'll say is, uh, I don't think what you just described, right. was all that long ago. And frankly, it's even now, right. Depending on the solution. Uh, that, that your networks rely and depend on. But something that's unique with Meraki in what we call our, our out-of-box experience is that we've actually embedded that with our own opinionated uh, standards and de defaults in terms of how the ports are configured the first time you plug the switch in. And we can get into the mechanics of that, but if you think about the fact that the first time you plug in a Meraki switch, it's not looking at its local storage system for it for to tell it how a port should be configured. It's actually a very different thing, right? Which is that it's connecting to the Meraki cloud, right? Infrastructure securely, and then asking the cloud, how should I be configured? And if you think about a, that paradigm shift, because frankly, I just described cloud management um, and it's been around for a while, that, that is a big part of the answer to your question here. Um, which is that you can actually first set those standards and defaults. You can then pop proliferate them to all your ports and all your switches. And all of that can happen independently of the switch ever even being plugged in, right? So that's what we call our zero touch provisioning. So you get to control those defaults, but we've also implemented those defaults just the way that something like Cisco's iOS has, right? And we've tried to take a hint from the industry to make sure that they're set up in a way that even if you make zero changes, the switch works, right? True plug and play. Um, and then you can obviously modify those as well. Um, Digvijay, anything you wanna add there? Yeah, I think uh, one, of the, one of the key factors that you spoke about is the cloud management and the ability to, you know, sort of provision these devices even before they connect to the dashboard. So if you look at that from the config management perspective, we have a feature called virtualization of stack ports, sorry, virtualization of switch ports. And so what that does is it gives you this ability to mass configure switch ports, even on devices that haven't been shipped to you yet. And then the entire onboarding process with Miraki allows you to get these devices online and not be bothered about how the propagation of that configuration to individual devices will happen when 
they do turn up online. So I think just the fact that we are a cloud-based management system goes a long way. And Meraki has done you know, a significant amount of work in, in ensuring that these uh, granular, uh, repetitive um, parts of the config are taken care of in, in a very user-friendly manner. I think that's important, um, mainly because, you know, a couple of places that I've been, you know, it was ex the, the exact example that Paul gave, the, the text file and, you know, switch ports 1 through 25 or 24 are this and 25 to 48 are this and, you know, it was it was replicated and then, you know, people leave, they, they leave companies, they change around and then that, that text file necessarily doesn't, like, stay there or, or people kind of fall off that that golden image and then you have you say if you have 400 offices then you have maybe a couple hundred of those 100 whatever it is that are just different you know than the others and then you know you go to move uh you know move a, a core piece of infrastructure right say i'll just take ntp for example you, you switch ntp servers and now you have a hundred offices that that are pointing to a server NTP server that doesn't exist anymore. Yeah, you know, that kind of thing. So I think the formality of that uh, really comes in hand with uh, a lot of these large scale places because now you can uh, do exactly that scale at you know basically you know move at scale. And I, I think the zero touch provision that Tony touched on is is important as well. Uh, now you don't actually have to have the switch shipped to an office where somebody is going to then copy paste, right? It can go right to said office and all it needs is internet and it calls home. It knows where to go that, you know, north, north, uh, you know, north, south um, type of structure and it calls home, it redirects correctly and, and, you know, it knows who you are and, and it gets the configuration pushed. I think, I think that's going to be huge. The cloud management access is huge. You're seeing it now with other you know, Cisco products, the Tela and uh, DNA Center, you know, things of that nature. Um, so I, I think that's the way the market and, and, and the industry is moving. And I, I just think it's uh, really going to um, bring more people into the Meraki fold as this sort of gets more, you know, cookie cutter or network in a box is the term I like to use. That's pretty spicy. So it feels like, you know, it, it, it definitely scales well. And, and I think it will uh, turn on, you know, more customers to look at Meraki versus, you know, something else that's, uh, you know, you know, that's out there in the market. So just my two cents. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I just kind of had a follow-up to that as we're talking about, uh, port management and the idea of the golden config, um, definitely understanding where things are plugged in is critical for certain projects. Uh, my personal introduction, first time being really like hands-on with Meraki was doing a uh, network access control project. And one of the key terms, key challenges with network access control is if you don't have that golden kind of standard template, you don't know where anything is and you're spending your time running around. A printer in closet A might be plugged into port 26, closet B, it might be plugged into port one. Um, so one of the biggest things that, that really made me like Meraki was the ability to see where everything was. How does, you know, this port management kind of play into uh, the compliancy aspect of maybe healthcare, finance, those type of organizations? Yeah, so I think, uh, I think network access control has been a critical component in, you know, our approach towards how port management should happen. And when you look at the different use cases, you have to be cognizant of 
the devices that are in these networks. And so we've taken sort of a two-pronged approach. One's on the more dynamic side where, you know, you've got integration with dedicated engines like ICE, which control access to the network. And so over the years, we've continuously improved our collaboration with ICE in terms of how the interoperation works. Um, on the on the static side, I think what we've also focused on, and I'm going to kind of move towards the discussion of templates, which is sort of, you know, the, the critical golden config concept that Miraki has to offer. Um, you have network configuration templates, which allow you to define the port configuration um, to be reused across large scale multiple networks. And so at that point in time, you what you have the ability to do is uh, create sort of a golden conflict uh, where you can customize ports to meet the requirements of say printers or um, POS devices, you know, on specific ports and then deploy them to large scale networks. I think the other piece, uh, and I love I love that question, right? Because I think every organization has their principles as it pertains to how fast they need often need to move, but also doing that responsibly, right? And I think you touched on you know, healthcare as an industry is is not is not uh, typically an environment where you can you know really frankly shoot from the hip. Not to suggest any of us would want to do that with port config. Um, but I think that there's there's different propensities to comfort around risk, right? And when we think of manufacturing, healthcare, in those spaces, like you can't you can't necessarily roll out a change um, like changing your NTP server, like you mentioned, Pat, um, willy nilly, right? And I think one of the uh, foundational building blocks that we've created created with Meraki is um, what we think of as the network wide configuration. And this is something that, so the word network, uh, I would say is synonymous with site, right? So the idea being that um, regardless of your industry, um, you know, you, you're going to probably have uh, multiple locations, right? And each one of those is represented by what we coin a network. And the network is a, I would say a container in some way of the configuration that you want for that environment to have. And it includes things like radius servers, other critical services, um, policy, um, uh, port schedules, which is a feature that we introduced around our sustainability goals so that you can shut things on and off right at night if you can. The beauty of that model, and it's almost like we, it was a brilliant accident in a way, though how we designed all of this, is that it allows for you to have these standards implemented once um, and then have them be inherited down to the switch level or where it makes sense to the port level, such that if you need to make a change, you can do so globally. Um, and that's paid dividends, not only for a particular for a single site, uh, regardless of its scale, but also as Digvijay points to, you can cross proliferate or cross pollinate that using something like templates where you say, here's my perfect network, right? Talking about golden config. Now I want to replicate that for the rest of my sites because it's tried and true and it works and I have trust that it works. Right. And so that builds this sort of, I think, uh, you know, really repeatable, scalable system, uh, whether you have many, many, many uh, simple sites or a few more complex or advanced sites. Um, I, I hope that makes sense. Definitely. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, we've mentioned a couple topics, um, so I don't want to overload this next question. Um, but when we talk about templates, it makes me think about 
a lot of clients that we will uh, help with like mergers and acquisitions, or they just have rapid expansion, right? And as they're rolling out these sites, you know, uh, a lot of industries are uh, having difficulty with staff, right? So I think about one client that has, let's say four people on staff, and they've got multiple states that they cover and being able to go, hey, we got this new you know, office that's coming up because they got retail locations and they literally no longer have to send their network people out there. They no longer have to send all these technical people because everything's Meraki now. So their switches, their firewall for SD-WAN, their uh, access points, everything, they just, the people who are doing the work and everything, they just install it, they plug things up like they're supposed to and it just works. Right. Uh, that goes back to, I think, David Day mentioning um, uh, zero touch provisioning, right? Being able to do it all uh, in advance. It also takes into advance uh, into concept the templates so that they can automatically apply this down, whether it be uh, wireless or wired or even on the security aspect. You get into so many things that make Meraki powerful there. So one of the things I wanted to ask about was like, as we're talking about scalable management, okay? Uh, with port profiles specifically, um, how do you guys see that going further than I think most people probably think about a normal switch port today, right? Um, I, and uh, I'll add to that something as simple as port scheduling, you know, the concept of turning on and off a port. Um, I have one industry that we deal with where all their sites, they shut down at, after I think it's about 7 p.m. on Friday until 8 a.m. on Monday, all their ports are off. So, you know, technically this is saving them power, their phones aren't running, um, other things like that, but this also is a security mechanism. So if someone was to break into the office, they can't access the environment and do things like that. So I'm just curious, how would you say that you would recommend using, but also what does Meraki kind of think about using port scheduling um, along with port profiles to really kind of take switch management beyond just, oh, this is a data port or this is just a, a voice and data for your computer port? How is it making it smarter? That's a great question. And I'll take a stab uh, and, and pass it to David J. He's, you know, he's, he's a lot smarter than I am. Um, but, the, you know, you touched on something really key in your question there, right? You said two things, right? You said merger and acquisition as a, as a, as a focal challenge of the organization. So that implies it's probably a sizable organization, right? If they're acquiring entities. And then you said four people, which by the way, it <laughs> resembles the real world that we're all in, right? Um, where there's this constant pressure to, to do more with less um, and, and, and have operational excellence. So I, I love that question, right? We see this a lot. Th there's a couple of ways that we're thinking about this high level. Right. The first is that rather than things being all the way embedded down at the port level, and if you want to understand that complex system, you almost have to go port by port, figure out what's plugged in, figure out how it's uh, its attributes, right? Figure out how it's configured, and then build a, a picture of how your environment's set up. Which, by the way, doing that as part of a merger acquisition, uh, as we've seen firsthand with customers, can be incredibly difficult. Um, I'm thinking like bash scripts and, uh, all this fancy automation that you have to build just to answer that question. Like, how are my phone ports configured and are they consistent across all my sites? And if not, is that a security risk? And it probably is right. Um, Meraki really already inherently makes that easier to do because as you suggested, right, you can sit down from anywhere, could be the beach, 
um, you know, it could be while you're having a spicy meal, whatever it is, and fire that up and then literally cut across all of your locations and ask that question and get a universal answer because you can access all your ports for all your sites very quickly, right? And then the second, and, and, the, and you can do that not just through a user interface, you can do it through a really rich API. Um, but then the second part of that, and this is really where we're looking forward, is how do we move that up so that you have a, a, a sort of command and control system where you can create and establish rules with automation logic inside of our platform? And we're, we can unpack that a bit, but I'll give a pointed example, right? Rather than having static configuration for a phone on an employee's or staff member's desk that you configure once, you set, forget, and hope that that doesn't end up getting unplugged and plugged in elsewhere, right? Because a lot of this is built on hope. Um, you instead create a universal set of rules and logic to tell the system, right, overall, all your switches, all your ports, if you see a phone, here's the 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 cons the logic that i want you to apply right if it's a phone do this if it's an access point do that and we have multiple examples of this already and then we have a lot of work going into this port profiles capability and cisco's done this before right it's 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 been coined auto smart ports right but the beauty of layering in a cloud solution is that we can continue to make the database of things that recognize devices as more and more devices get built, we can continue to enrich that, right? With better fingerprinting, more accurate fingerprinting and new devices as they get produced by, by technology vendors. And that is part of our vision, right? So at a high level, that gives you a sense for how we're thinking about this problem space and how we're being pushed by customers like the one you describe, right? That use case you describe uh, really richly, Paul. Um, High level, right? Gives you a sense of where we're going with this. Um, and port scheduling is a key part. Um, we've had customers in the pharmaceutical industry, uh, retail industry, food and beverage industry, like share these incredible statistics around what it means if they choose to shut down some part of their, uh, their switch environment. Um, just for the eight hours while they're closed, their businesses are closed, you're having an enormous impact on their, on their footprint. Right. So that is definitely a core part of that vision as well. Um, Dig Jay, what did I mess up? Uh, nothing at all. So, I mean, uh, the dynamic portion of, you know, the provisioning of ports is definitely uh, a key area where we've been focusing. And, you know, this goes back to sort of a tie in with network access control as well, because what you're trying to do is ensure that while you provide flexibility and automation to, to users, you are also ensuring that your policies are adhered to. Something that uh, port profiles kind of targets from inception. Like I'll, before I stop, speak about the dynamic part, I'll step back and talk about the static implementation. Even there, the intent is to ensure that if you are deploying large scale networks um, in the static implementation of port profiles, you have modular definitions of configurations which may or may not change across, say, the deployment. Uh, so for instance, a lot of people uh, we spoke with, um, the way they they would provision their devices is they would set out the first eight ports for spe specific purposes, the next eight ports for, for different kind of connections, right? Port Profiles allows them to have some amount of flexibility where they define the configuration that needs to go into those devices, but they don't necessarily need to be worried about whether the connections are changing. 
So that is a, a concept or that's, that's an aspect of the port configuration management that they can modify on a device-to-device uh, -device basis. But then going back to the dynamic implementation, we're targeting this using two methods. The first one is radius authentication. So when you connect a device, if you are using a radius server, then your radius server takes a, a, a look at the device. It can profile it. It can determine what kind of capabilities this device needs to have. And depending upon how the network administrator believes this device should be provisioned, uh, the radius server passes down a configuration or the identity of a port profile that we will then apply to the port connected to that device. But if you do not have a radius server, you still have the capability of looking at the traffic coming in from that particular device. Say, for instance, you want to look at the Mac OUIs all the LLDB, CDB information that you're receiving from the device, you can use that information to take a call on what kind of a configuration should be catered to that particular device's port. So we're sort of moving into that, uh, you know, configuration sanity and network access control domain also with this. Um, and so it caters to both requirements of flexibility and automation and some, some amount of security along with that. So this could essentially uh, simplify like, you know, we're in this hybrid sort of workforce right now. So this could really simplify like hoteling for workers or even some organizations that might be doing BYOD from a yes. security standpoint. Absolutely. So I think the, the fundamental concept here is that, you know, you don't want to leave it uh, as an overhead for the network administrator where they have to tend to variations in the nature of the devices that are connecting to that network. So long as they have their policies defined, um, the network should be smart enough to react to what's connecting to it. Yeah, that um, <laughs> the hoteling example is fantastic, right? Because the last thing you want is to create uh, create friction for your staff, um, guests, whomever, um, to be able to get in, get on, and get work done. But without a dynamic approach like this, you may sacrifice security, right? Or you may risk security uh, where you just, you give them full carte blanche access to the network, right? And very few uh, modern environments will do that now, right? And so now you're, you're dealing with that uh, balance between uh, user experience in the environments and sites, right? The, the, uh, and, and, and security. And we do believe that as you perfectly pointed out, this strikes the perfect balance between keeping things secure uh, in almost a zero trust way, but giving access to the right in parts of the environment, whether that's VLANs, subnets, right, something that that level, um, or of course applications and services, as soon as as soon as the user connects. Yeah, kind of driving towards the um, you know BYOD discussion that uh, or topic I should say that Dira brought up. Um, so a couple of uh, things on my mind as far as what. Uh, some folks that may have Meraki or uh, kind of dipping their toes in it. Um, I'm assuming it integrates with other uh, Cisco products, right? I think Dick Vijay said ICE um, was a big one, which in enterprise, that's kind of the standard nowadays for, for NAC types things. Um, the, the other thing I think about is umbrella for DNS uh, security and, um, you know, basically people plug it in and, you know, have free reign, Tony, like you said, of, of the network. Um, threat, uh, threat intelligence, uh, AMP, things of that nature. Uh, do you guys see any other sort of integrations that uh, that customers are using, or any sort of big ones? Or, or uh, I, I'm assuming ICE is a big one, an umbrella. Uh, any others in that space that you've seen enterprise folks look at? 
I would say the first one that comes to mind in terms of visibility is Thousand Eyes. We've had a lot of focus on Thousand Eyes in terms of, you know, uh, how we can better understand and report on, on the network's functions. So that's definitely an area where we've been uh, investing a lot of energy in. Um, you know, it's, it's a pretty big topic, but yeah, that's, that's probably one of the first ones that I would, would say is an area of interrupt for us. That makes sense. Yeah, and we've taken a, a sort of, I would say, of, of course, a key part of our strategy is to to harness the the rich and deep portfolio of, of products that Cisco offers in this area. Um, but we, we we have also taken this sort of ecosystem play where we've got fairly rich uh, APIs where you can pull, like, within a matter of seconds, how's this port configured now for all of my switches? What's plugged into this port for all of my switch ports? Um, by client, by IP, by Mac, right? So you can imagine, you can start to envision what you can do with that if you're if you're a third party ecosystem partner. Um, and we do have a few rich ones there um, as well, right? And so this is also about making sure that customers, regardless of their tech choice, uh, can, can integrate. Um, but we see a ton of that with Cisco ICE for sure, right? Which as you said, is the gold standard for, for this space. So, so that actually brings to mind, you know, when I think about not just integrations with other products from more of an application level, right? You know, um, I think about how Meraki is now allowing, you know, the Cisco Catalyst series uh, within the dashboard, right? And this is not a Meraki versus Catalyst traditional Cisco kind of stuff. It's more so about doing what we've talked about on this podcast so far about empowering the users to make their port management easier, more simplified, and I've witnessed situations where, yes, you do have to do things, right? It's not just so, it's not just like, boom, Catalyst is in there, right? But making that management where it's like, hey, we've decided to flip a switch. We are now going to go Meraki for future state, right? For all the reasons we've talked about here, being able to bring in that legacy equipment until it is time to replace it is, is just super, super powerful, right? Um, so I just want to bring that up in case like people either aren't aware of it or know. Um, if y'all have anything you'd like to add to it, feel free. But I just want to mention that you know just the integrations are huge, and coupled with that is the APIs, right? Um, I think as someone who I often tell people like I know how to code, like you don't want me to do all of your coding. I know enough to be dangerous, right? So um, I use scripts for our own for ourselves. We help our customers with scripts, and the API management at times is just very convenient, especially when you're dealing in like a, a multi-organizational situation with dashboards. Um, but just, yeah, so just going beyond just those specific actual products, I wanted to uh, harken back to the API stuff as well as mention the Catalyst integration. Yeah, no, I think it's a fantastic comment because you, you sort of almost like played out our strategy in a way in terms of how we, uh, how we define and establish our evergreen roadmap around what are things that we can deliver to customers and meet them where they are, right? So we have, uh, of course, Cisco has a, a, an enormous install base of Catalyst pro, uh, switches out there. Also the gold standard, right, in, in switching. And uh, But those users want this cloud sauce that we're talking about, right? They, they want a taste of being able to do the same thing at scale and not only through the CLI, but also through uh, a, a sort of call it modern SaaS solution. So that's literally the playbook there, right? And as we start bringing those systems into the Meraki experience, it starts with give me telemetry, give me visibility, but it, that's, that's the first stop on the train to 
starting to deliver the same value that the MS customers, uh, you know, customers value every day. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I think like the, the API piece that you mentioned, I want to be very upfront here in saying that that is also part of our strategy. So when we talk about port profiles, port configuration automation, the whole reason we're exploring that is because we've had our more sophisticated users leverage the API and we can see that in the pattern, the usage patterns, right? And that also informs and influences what we decide, where we decide to focus. And I can tell you now we have several multinational, call it fortune 100s, right? That have cracked the code on doing quite literally cracked the code on doing um, programmatic knack without needing anything running on-prem. And that's been incredibly cool to see, right? And as we saw those patterns in the API, there was a point at which we decided, let's make this a first-class user experience inside of the Meraki dashboard and user experience too. So I love that comment, yeah. Yeah, I would say, just to kind of expand on Paul's comment there, from a mergers and acquisitions perspective too, right? So say you're a Meraki shop and you bought somebody that has Catalyst line things, right? You don't have anybody on staff that can, you know, like, like DR and Paul and, you know, you know we've been CLI jockeys for, for 20 years in, in the network world. So you may not have folks that are well-versed in that CLI world that, you know, we all kind of grew up on. So I think the, the integration and the, and the, the bringing that, bringing the catalyst into the Meraki dashboard space is really beneficial for folks that, you know, hey, we'll get them on board for now. We can at least manage them, get some visibility. And then, you know, depending on the business or direction, you know, we may just replace them with Meraki's in the future or stay catalyst and, you know, kind of you know, keep keep the train going and, and business as usual, right? So I think that's very helpful as well as to have that integrations with the with the catalyst side of things. So you still get the advantages that the catalyst, you know, we all know and love, but then you also have the manageability and the, again, the user experience, the ease of management that, you know, that today's world sort of, you know, demands. Well, yeah. And I think if you imagine, right, that if you were faced with a merger acquisition or having to inherit part of a network environment that isn't Meraki and it is Catalyst, to your point, the beauty of that is now you can onboard, the, onboard those systems without any disruption, right? Purely from monitoring standpoint. But I want to mention the fact that as part of that monitoring experience, you can now go to that switch and dashboard, right? That Catalyst 9300, whatever it is, and then go to give me the CLI inside of the dashboard and then say, show interfaces and see exactly how those ports are configured, right? And so like, it immediately gives you a direct conduit in to those systems um, and starts the journey, right? It starts to tell, like, uh, pave the path for being able to, like, either consolidate that, um, not just, like, within Dashboard, uh, you can continue to keep both platforms uh, as well, right? So that that's a, it's a really awesome feature that we re- recently made available to our Catalyst uh, uh, monitored customers and switches. We're on the topic of mergers and acquisitions. Um, are you able to you know, kind of come up with like a standard template and copy that across uh, organizations if you're like an MSP or something, or you're managing multiple Meraki organizations. So that's um, that's definitely one of the one of the talking points that we've had in recent times. So today, for instance, you have the ability to clone uh, networks within an organization. Um, you can run the the template model also where 
you know you can mass deploy configuration um, within that particular organization. We don't have uh, a method for cloning configuration between organizations today, but then uh, that's definitely an area that we've been even investigating further on, especially with eyes on the MSPs. I was going to say uh, with that, I was going to say um, you know as you know effectively an MSP for Meraki ourselves, and then we have customers who are also MSPs to their customers, right? Um, the the APIs that exist today are, are a godsend, right? And especially when dealing with, um, you know, quite frankly, some of our customers have no idea about REST APIs or any code or Python or anything, right? Um, being able to sometimes just go to the actual Meraki documentation and just show them the website and say, like, this is exactly what it's doing. And, you know, the, some of the built-in applets that literally let you run the code directly there and give you outputs to show these things, um, it, it, it's, it's a lifesaver. So I, I can only say from my perspective, right? It's all API driven. All a GUI is is just graphically driven APIs. So I'm very excited for the future hope, right? <laughs> that uh, Meraki will continue to do more stuff around multi-org development. Um, I, I think it could be uh, exceptionally spicy as it continues. Yeah, and we've got a pretty bright vision there as well as a dedicated team. Uh, our, our network uh, network management at scale team, right? Part of our cloud group looking at exactly this because I, like we talked about API usage patterns, this is one of them. There is definitely a heat map around, hey, I've got a network. I want its golden config uh, and I want it over in this other environment, right? And not all customers run multi-org because of sheer scale. Some part of MA, some part of the way that their organizations are organized. Um, and so like there is a future around this and we hear it, right? We, we know that this is, this is an area that needs, uh, you know, further innovation. Um, the API can do it today, right? But that's not good enough. We want to make that a first class experience as well. Um, and it, and it matters a lot for switching, right? Because those networks contain potentially many thousands of lines of configuration. If you were to look at it in the raw. Speaking of the templates and we sort of, you know, this episode has been sort of wrapped around the golden image. Is there any sort of documentation out there, say, as a first-time Meraki customer or even looking uh, at Meraki as a potential solution, is there any documentation uh, on, on that Meraki has that says, hey, these are our best practices when it comes to golden image or comes to port profiles or any of those kind of things? So, like, you, know, you always want to sort of start uh, with the end in mind, you know, in quotes. <laughs> so, you know, sort of build it for scale and make sure that you have a solid foundation because you don't want six months down the road and you go, oh, well, we should have done that. And now you have to sort of reinvent the wheel sort of thing. So is there any sort of documentation or guidelines that Meraki has to say, okay, look, you know, you want a golden image or golden template. Here's what we recommend X, Y, and Z. Yeah. I mean, I would say uh, in, in short, the answer is yes. Um, in that we provide this kind of guidance based on what you see as your end state, right? Or at least directionally where you believe your end state will be. And obviously like orders of magnitude vary there, right? If you're a quick service food restaurant and you've got literally tens of thousands of switches, sites, and ports, we definitely have recommended, uh, best practices around how to architect, um, the, the way you set up your sites, your environments, your organizations, not just from like just config at scale, but also from a security standpoint, from usability standpoint. And uh, the the I think the comment I would make is bear with us because this is a moving thing. It's a journey, right? And that, I say that just because we just talked about some really cool innovation we're doing. 
those things as we deliver them to our users are going to evolve those recommendations, right? And so you're gonna see us also evolve in how we recommend uh, you do that, but it should only improve your experience, uh, not, not make it harder. Um, and we are thinking a lot about migration too, right? So if you're a current customer deployed at scale, we're not just gonna like ostracize you and, and abandon you. Um, so we're thinking a lot about the tools and utility around how do I go from this, which is okay or great, to this, which is better, right? Um, but uh, Digvijay knows a lot more certainly about those back best practices as well. Yeah, I would just add that, you know, we, we tend to focus on best practices at two levels. So one is obviously, you know, config management through templates you have, um, and I'll come back to this, but then we also do this on a feature to feature basis. It, we have documentation which covers what you should or should not be looking forward to doing in your networks, depending upon how you manage, want to manage a particular feature. So for instance, storm control or STP deployments and the scale or the diameter of those uh, features, which is how many networks you, uh, you should have in an organization or how many nodes you should have within a network and down to the client's level. We have best practices guidelines on all those metrics, but then going back to uh, the template piece and uh, large scale management and to the point that Tony made around migrations and you know, mergers. I think one of the one of the things that both profiles also do here is they allow you to have this ability of a user-defined best practice config, right, to be deployed. Because one of the questions that continuously comes up with templates is how do we handle exceptions? And so with both profiles, what we want to do is move away from the concept of exceptions, at least in the network managers or the network administrator's eyes. So once you have that static or dynamic implementation of both profiles and you're managing a large-scale network organization, you would not ideally have any exception config in your deployment that is not accounted for uh, and is in accordance with best practices that are defined by Meraki or by the network administrator for their own networks. Before we close, is there anything that we we didn't cover that you wanted to touch on? I'm looking at the faces and there we've squeezed all the knowledge that we possibly could out of them in this episode. So, <laughs> all right. Well, to our listeners, if you want to uh, continue your learning on today's topic, uh, we have a few um, useful links in the show notes below. So check that out. And of course, make sure you subscribe or follow Cisco Champion Radio on your favorite streaming platform so you receive alerts on our latest releases. Thank you for listening in. See you again in a couple of weeks. 